I thank you guys for coming out this evening for this message called Deadly Deception, a call for true believers to stay awake. It is um, something that's really been on my heart and on my mind for a number of months, maybe up to a year now. And um, you know how when God's putting something in your heart and it just can't be released, you know that it has to be spoken. And so I was sure of that. Not an easy message to share, but an important message to share because uh, as Pastor prayed back in the prayer room together, you know, we need to know the truth. Amen? Because our lives are at stake. And as I shared in the announcements this morning when I talked about this message, and I really do mean this, I mean politically because of the election this year, The United States of America is in absolute political chaos. That's all you can say. It doesn't matter even what happens. We're in chaos no matter what happens. And we look at the increase of natural disasters, and we know that the world is in chaos, naturally speaking. We look at international affairs and the threat of nuclear war and everything that's going on over there with Russia and with North Korea and with China and the Middle East and ISIS. And we're in chaos everywhere we turn, right? Which is what's going to happen in the end times. But as I said this morning, I'm going to stand by this statement. There is no chaos like spiritual chaos. Because people's lives are on the line. And it breaks my heart. I mean, the more that I've looked into this and studied it, the more I pray about it, the more people come to me and say, I see it, I see it, I see it. And it's It's damnable because while, you know, terrible things result as a result of political chaos and while natural disasters are horrid and people can die and international chaos is bad and people suffer and they die, there is nothing like eternal damnation. I think of Polycarp who gave his life in the first century, second century A.D. He was a... Uh, a student of the Apostle John, and when they took him to burn him at the stake, um, they asked him if he wanted to recant, and he said, look, no way. He said, the fire you're about to burn me with will last an hour or so, and then my physical body will be gone. But the fire that you're going to face in eternal judgment lasts forever, you know? And we need to get that perspective. These are serious times we're living in. And the chaos that we see and the increasing deception that we see on every side, including spiritually, is nothing that is taking God by surprise. Amen? It's not taking God by surprise. As we talked in Sunday school today, don't be alarmed. Don't live in fear. Don't walk around shaking in your boots because everything we see happening was predicted and prophesied in that book. Read that book. Love Jesus Christ. Do not be alarmed. Uh, Jesus told us in the book of Luke, he said, when you see all these crazy things start to take place, actually lift up your head because your redemption draweth nigh. But there are people's lives at stake. The enemy is working hard and he is working strong, right? And... uh, Brother Christoph this morning very much encouraged me. It was amazing. He did a wonderful job, uh, made me feel just so inspired. And one of the things that he said, you know, Islam is not obviously false prophecy within the church. It's another false religion, which is, you know, Jesus talked about that too. But it's interesting that he used this percentage and he said 80 
90% of the statements about Jesus made in the Quran are accurate statements. Only 20% are wrong. But the 20% that are wrong damn souls to hell. But that's the way the devil always works. He comes at us with half truth, half error. Amen? I'm going to show you how that's happening, not just within false religions, but within the supposed church today, which is scary stuff, but God's in control. So I really want us to pray because this is going to be a spiritual battle. I want to ask you to be prayerful with me. Um, If you have your Bibles, you know, more towards the end as we analyze a couple things, I'm going to have you actually read from your Bible, but we will have a PowerPoint up here. Okay, so let's, let's pray first. Um, Dear Father, please, please, please be with us in a special way. I ask you to cleanse me from my sin. I ask you for each one of those that is here to ask the same from you. That we might come before you with a heart that is open and pure because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And... Please never let us be even sincerely led astray. We look to your truth. We ask you to guide us and to direct us straight from your word. God, open up the eyes of American Christians. Raise up the remnant of faithful people who will be true to you and to the precious name and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I thank you for all this in his name. Amen. You know, that's the thing that this is really about. Um, I want to defend the name of Jesus Christ, right? The real Jesus. Because his name is being slandered. His name is being misused. People are talking about Jesus, but they don't mean the Jesus of the Bible. His cross is being made to be very little. His blood is rarely spoken of, nor his second coming is a problem. So let's get right into the Word of God. You know, as always, I want to take you not to my opinion, but I want to take you to what the Bible says. First of all, explain to you that the journey that I've gone on with this started in 2013 when I was asked to be the guest speaker at the um, Western Pennsylvania Women's Alliance Retreat in Butler, Pennsylvania. I don't know if any of you were there, but the Lord laid on my heart to share a sermon there called Last Words, and it was about the second coming of Christ. And the whole message up there was about Jesus' last words as far as the canon of Scripture is concerned, in the book of Revelation, the last thing he tells us three times in the last chapter of our Bible is, I am coming soon. So I spoke a sermon on the second coming of Christ in 2013, back in May, and from that point on, the Lord never like really released me from continuing to study and explore things about his second coming. So I did, and as I kept studying his second coming, it kind of grew into a greater focus where I saw that every time the Bible speaks of him coming again, there is like a a parallel theme of you as the church of Jesus Christ better stay awake. You can't take this second coming lightly. 
And you need to know that accompanying the second coming will be, you know, the Antichrist coming onto the scene and deception is also going to increase. And I found that Jesus and the apostles all throughout the word were saying this phrase, stay awake. And I haven't gotten those two words out of my head since about 2013. And it just kept coming. And the more I would study and the more, you know, the different Bible studies and messages I would do, the Lord would always lead me that way. And then it even got more refined to the point where God showed me in his word, as you could see yourselves, that not only will there be deception in the end, but it's going to ramp up to a greater degree. And it's going to change slightly in the way that it won't just be deception from false religions that are outside of evangelical Christianity, but it will be false teaching that starts to creep up from within evangelical Christianity. All right? And that's biblical. Now, we're going to go over some of those scriptures. Now, I, I put up here... Um, a screenshot of my computer from the other day because I shared this at our church a couple of weeks ago uh, as an announcement for this message. Terrible, terrible findings by Lifeway Research and uh, Ligonier Ministries as they came together. And just this past week of September in our time, just a few weeks ago, released these damnable statistics about the belief of evangelical Christians. You know what I mean? I'm not talking like non-churchgoers or people who might loosely say, well, I own a Bible or I I associate myself with Christianity. I'm talking about people who passed like an interview. They answered all the questions exactly right as to identify themselves as evangelical Christians. And the statistics were horrendous. Seven out of ten evangelical Christians said that Jesus Christ is the first and greatest creation of God Almighty. Seven out of ten. That's like, that could be every seven out of ten of us. Do you understand? That's evangelical Christians. Fifty-six percent of them said that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a person. And that He's not equal to the Father and to the Son. And like 74% of evangelical Christians, and I can believe this based on the teaching I'm going to show you, 74% of Christians said, I've got to do something. I have to contribute effort in order to be saved. It's craziness. So I'm just telling you, God is confirming that things are getting wild and wooly out there, and it's... It's no time to back off. It's no time to be complacent. It's no time to say, well, you know, just let the next generation, you know, pretty much do what they're... Listen, we've got to tell the next generation, right? We've got to get serious about it ourselves. We've got to tell our children and our grandchildren. We've got to make sure that people are grounded because this is real. And as we explore tonight uh, these different types of false teaching, I want to talk about sins of commission and sins of omission, Let's talk about how we are emphasizing the wrong things and not emphasizing the right things, you see. There's a sin of omission that is going on in the church of Jesus Christ at large today, too. Would any of you agree? There are certain things that we just don't talk about or emphasize. Why? I have no idea other than the enemy is having his way and he's creeping into the church. Now, I call this not research because I didn't do official research. I remember what research was like doing my my master's thesis in education. Um, 
the efficacy of graphing calculators in the mathematical classroom. That was some fun research. And I had to do real research. I did not do actual scientific quantified research here for this. I would call it more an exploration, but I will tell you this. You guys know me. And ever since I resigned from Christian education and decided to come on at Norwin Alliance part-time, do Hope and Passion part-time, I have dedicated myself to just devouring and studying the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, and in those many hours of studying and teaching and dialoguing with people, all kinds of things, I have really focused on this and really lately spent many, many hours um, on the computer, Listening to the sermons of people that I would rather not listen to, right? Exploring the websites of mega churches, both international, national, and local. Checking out what the sermon series are, generally speaking. What are pastors preaching on in the past few years? How do their sermons, their cycles go? Listening to actual sermons of people that I was questioning. I mean, I wanted to make sure that I listened for a couple hours to what they're actually saying. Just checking things out. I've done an exploration. And I have been extremely devastated. Absolutely devastated at what I've found. And I don't mean just by what I found, but what I haven't found. So this is not actual research. It's just me telling you my opinion after looking at this. Going to some mega churches, both international, national, and local, as I check out websites and try to gain insight into what are the sermons on, generally speaking, every week for the past year or so, I went to the website of a local, pretty big mega church, and I don't know. Of all the sermons that I could find on our website, I saw one, maybe two, that had anything at all to do with what happens after you die, heaven, hell, or the second coming of Christ. I could put all those categories into one or maybe two messages. Right? Does anybody see anything wrong with that? That's a problem. And I checked it out like with other, you know, mega churches. I'm looking at sermon series. I'm looking at topics. I'm looking at common Christian authors and I'm checking out their blogs and I'm checking out what they're, what they're about and what they say their vision statement is and what kind of things they write about, what kind of things they talk about. And loosely speaking, everything today, and this is a generalization because there are people teaching the truth, but most everything you find is, how can I be happier? How can I have a better family life? How can I make uh, better progress in my career path? How can God prosper me? What is God going to do for me in this little 80 or 90 years that I have in this world? That's totally the focus today as far as I can tell. Anybody agree with me? Don't be afraid. All crazy people unite, you know. We're not crazy. It's the truth. There's a problem. And I, I, I searched high and low. I don't think I did find, like, a sermon as I was looking at bigger churches, you know, influential churches and, and books and people. And all. I, I just, and I wasn't looking at the people that I know are strong in it. You know, I wasn't looking at my, Dr. Michael Youssef or Dr. Charles Stanley or people that I know are firm and strong. But when I looked at all the others, I'm like, I can't even find a message about hell. I can't even find a message that ever, I don't, if I would type Google search lake of fire, I don't know if anybody ever talks about the lake of fire, but it's as real as, right? So it's not only what they're emphasizing, what they're de-emphasizing. Now let's go to the scriptures and let's go to Matthew 24. Context is Jesus is talking about the end times. He's speaking to his disciples and he says this right around verse 11. 
I mean, just look at the statement. It, you don't have to be, Brother Christoph, a literal rocket scientist to figure this out, right? Look at what Jesus said. This is Jesus speaking. He said, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Now, as far as the end times goes, the context of this is he's already brought up the natural disasters. And scientific uh, evidence tells us that natural disasters are on the increase, whether you're talking volcanoes, earthquakes, whatever, it's on the increase. So he's, he's already talked about the natural disasters, the wars, the rumors of wars, the false Christ, the false messiahs. And then Jesus says, all of that kind of stuff, that's the beginning of the birth pains, he says. But you know how birth pains go. They become more and more frequent and they become more and more intense. Then he kind of goes into a second wave of things that are going to happen in the end times that will continue to increase in intensity and frequency. And one of the things he brings up is false prophets. So now he's not talking about false Christs. He's not speaking of false religions like the Muslim religion or, you know, the New Age religion. He's saying these people are going to come from within the church. Many. How many? Many. Wait, wait a second, because I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget to use common sense. That doesn't say you'll be able to find a few false prophets. It says there will be many. Because when I started checking things out for myself, I'm like, am I nuts? Or is there a whole bunch of wrong going on here? And then I start to feel like, am I crazy? And then I go back and I read, no, many false prophets will come on the scene. And guess what? Not only are they going to come on the scene, but they're going to be successful. They will lead how many people astray? Many people will be led astray. This is as true as John 3.16. Right? Jesus said it. Okay. Here's what else he said. Scary stuff. I love this picture because it gives you the image you need to have in your head. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous, like hungry, like really after you wolves. In another place, Jesus calls them ferocious, okay? But he gives us this image, and that is a scary image. How did Jesus say the false prophets would come? They would look like what? Sheep. Because when I go to give you a couple examples at the end here, I want you to know, you can go to the websites of some of the false teachers, and their doctrinal statements look fine. But start listening to them teach. Okay? You with me? Because the doctrinal statement is the cover-up. We believe. Blah, 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 blah. That's the sheep's clothing. But on a daily basis, what they're teaching does not line up. You with me? So don't just go to a ministry and say, well, I'll read their doctrinal statement. You can't do that anymore. You cannot do that. You can't say, well, I'm safe because it says somewhere in the archives of their church or their ministry, it says that they believe this. I don't care what they say they believe. What are they teaching now? I read A.W. Tozer lately, and I wish I could find the quote, but he said something to this effect. He said, it doesn't really matter what the doctrinal statement of your church says. What you're really teaching is what the people are hearing and living. And if the people in your church or your ministry are not living out what, you, what was in your doctrinal statement, then that's just a cover-up for you. You're not really teaching it, Right? You with me? 
So remember this. I didn't say this. Jesus said this. He said the false prophets will look like the right people. They'll look like Christians. They'll look like sheep. Then uh, he goes on to say that not only will there be many of them, but because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now, this word lawlessness intrigued me. Do we see increased lawlessness in the world today and in the United States of America? Disrespect, lawlessness, disregard for any law and order, correct? But that's not the only thing this is talking about, although that's true and that will be a result. If you turn in your Bible, maybe just do this. I think it's Psalm 119. If you have your Bible open, turn to Psalm 119, verse 97. Um, I don't know what it is in the different versions. I memorized that in the ESV. But somebody tell me what Psalm 119.97 says that we ought to love. What does it say? Oh, how I love what? What? Your law. Really, Marty? Oh, how I love your law. Okay? The Bible refers often to the Bible itself as the book of the, the law. And sometimes we wrongly associate the law as being just the Ten Commandments. But the law of God is that Bible you hold in your hands, okay? So the Bible says that as Christians, we ought to what the law? We ought to love the law. Okay? So we're not just talking about disorder and breaking laws of the country. We're talking about lawlessness is increasing, meaning a disregard for the word of God. Amen? That's what lawlessness is getting at, and that's why you have increased disorder, and that's why you have Christians approving of sins that are obviously sins. Because at the root, people are disregarding the Word of God. There is very little expository, verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter preaching going on today. Do you want to know why? Because if you don't do word for word, verse by verse, you can skip whatever you don't want to deal with. You can just pick a topic and make it whatever you want it to be. Danger. Do I ever preach topical sermons? Absolutely. But I love when we go through things verse by verse, chapter by chapter, methodically. Oh, how I love your law. Not parts of your law. I love your whole law, dear God. Amen? It's getting scary. Now, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many, how many? Many. I said to my Sunday school class today, when you feel like you're in the minority for really loving Jesus and really being wary and on the lookout, you know, and you start to feel marginalized and you're like the minority, you're in the right way. Because most people's love is going to grow cold. Now, the word for grow cold there is actually... In the Greek, it actually means like if you were to take a spoonful of your soup and start to blow on it. And it begins gently and and gradually to cool down. Okay? So what this is, and I just got, when I was studying it, I got this like creepy picture in my head. Just picture the devil and all the powers of hell breathing down over the church of Jesus going, And slowly but surely, we start to grow cold. And it's gradual. And unless you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and start looking at what's going on, you're not even going to catch it. 
because it'll be so subtle. Then Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, scary, 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 scary passage. It's not a seeker-friendly passage. Sit down and pray about it over yourself, and you'll be like, you'll crumble into a ball. I mean, this passage gets you. It's good to do self-assessment, isn't it, in light of God's Word? Jesus was not here talking to unsaved people. Well, he was, but he was talking to people in the church, I should say, people who think they're okay. Okay? Because watch what he says to them. He says, on that day, that day of judgment, how many? What's the word he uses? A few? Half? Many people will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now, this is really scary. So let's put it in a modern day Shelley Prindle paraphrase. You ready? So many people who have attended church will stand before Jesus. This is not my words. This is in the Bible. This is the Word of God. Many people will stand before Jesus, and this is what they'll look at him and say at judgment. They'll be like, well, I mean, I, I was a pastor. I, I taught Sunday school for 23 years. Didn't I lead the youth group for five years? Didn't I give in the offering every week? Didn't I pray over people and watch them be healed? Didn't I cast out demons for you, Lord? Wasn't I on the elder board? Didn't I do devotions with my family every single day? And guess what Jesus will say? Scariest words in the whole Bible. Depart. Eternally. Go. Never to return. No chance. You're done. I never even had a relationship with you. I never knew you. Yep, that's about how it went today in Sunday school class. My Janice came in to get a coffee or something. I said, could you please drop a pin? Because I think we could hear it. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy stuff. And, and, and what the craziest part of it is, it doesn't, Jesus himself doesn't say, ah, a few people are going to do this. He says many. So, okay, maybe I'm not crazy when I'm so wary. And I am, I'm wary. Okay, you can think whatever you want about me. But there's no teenager under my youth ministry that's not going to know the truth. And they're going to know the truth. And if they reject it, they'll reject it. But it's not going to be on my shoulders because I care about their souls. There's nobody under the ministry of my teaching and preaching that's not going to hear the truth because that's my responsibility. Because we're talking about we're talking about somebody standing before Jesus and Jesus saying, Go away from me and never come back. It's done. It's over. This is crazy. And look what it says. He says about these people, these many people, that they, there it is again, that they were workers of what? And I'm going to tell you something. That just doesn't mean, it does include going against the law, like sinning and going against God's law. But it also includes lawlessness in the sense of you are not. You are working lawlessness because you're not causing people to love God's truth. When people don't care much about the Word of God anymore, right? 
somebody's been working lawlessness in their life and getting them away from Psalm 119.97, which says, Lord, how I love your law. That's the state of every person's heart and what it should be. And when it says love your law, okay, last time I checked, if you love someone, or in this case, you know, it's really Jesus because the word is him, is about him. But when you love someone or something, you spend time. You want to know intimately. You know, the people you really love, you don't just say, you know, what do you do for a living? Okay, that's good enough. We can be friends. You want to know them intimately. So people who work lawlessness are ministry leaders, churches, all kinds of people who are not instilling in the people under them a love of what? Jesus through his word. Don't talk to me about you have a ministry if you're not emphasizing the word of Jesus Christ. You don't have a ministry, you have a social club. You're reaching out to people for other reasons. Okay, now watch this. Just to corroborate what's going on here. So Peter, in his second letter, says this. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said. He said, false prophets also arose among the people. He's talking about in the Old Testament days. The day of false prophets back then? Yeah. But look what he says. He says, just as there will be false teachers among you. All right, now watch this. Who will... Secretly bring in destructive heresies. How are they going to do it? What does secretly mean? It means it's going to look like it's not wrong. Right? If you do something secretly, you're working stealthily. Right? You're working behind the scenes. Okay, when you're doing something, uh, when you're doing something secretly, you're not coming out. And this is what kills me because people are like, no way. They can't be teaching false doctrine. Why? Because they don't stand up in front of everyone they preach to and say, hello, I am a false prophet. Listen to everything false I have to say, Christians. Come along, come along. No, the way that they operate is the way the devil operates. You mix a little truth with a little error. You come across, you say, hey, if I want to get Christians, i got to go into the church and i got to look like a Christian. I cannot emphasize that enough. Be on your guard. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. And as you're going to see in a few minutes, this is the damnable thing that's really happening. These are the six words... You should underline your Bible, keep in your head. This is the crux of the matter. When all is said and done, what false teachers really want to do is they want to erase the Jesus who redeems you. They're not out to erase the name of Jesus, generally speaking, because that's nice if people believe in Jesus who helps you. You with me? Jesus, who's a good role model for you. The devil actually likes that. He likes when people think, oh, Jesus, he's a great role model. I think I'll model my life after him. Jesus cannot be your role model till he has bought you your sinful, rotten heart with the blood of his sacrifice. Amen? And if they take away the atonement 
And they take away the blood of Jesus and they make Jesus out to be just a great role model or somebody that we can emulate in our life to get to self-actualization. We're not saved, right? So they try to deny the master who bought them. That's the key, redemption, who bought them with his blood. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And, and how many here? Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. I have a feeling some people thought that my thing on false teaching tonight was going to be about prosperity preaching. It's not. Prosperity preaching is so passe, as far as I'm concerned. You know, because, oh, that's the least of our problems. But I will tell you this, I will tell you this, God prospers many Christians so that they're enabled to give, and that's a wonderful thing, and God prospers many ministries so that they can have greater outreaches, and that's great, right? Shelley's not saying you have to be poor, but I will tell you this, this is God's word. False teachers, their motivation is going to be greed. So just be careful. Be extra careful. Just extra. Doesn't mean that they're automatically a false teacher. But be extra careful when a ministry or a church or whatever is highly emphatic of money and prosperity. Just be wary. Make sure you check things out, right? Because their motivation is going to be greed. And how many Christians today do you know have become millionaires and multimillionaires because of their ministries? Anybody? Could you name any? I'm just saying, greed can become a motivator. Doesn't mean it is, but be wary. In Jude, in the book of, little book of Jude, we're told that certain people have crept in unnoticed. Isn't that interesting? Nobody really picked up on the fact that they crept in. And then all of a sudden, there they were. They crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord. There it is again. Something about the name, the power, the reality of Jesus Christ. Okay? Listen. Not everybody who says they love Jesus is talking about your Jesus. They may be very confused. Okay, but what I what I want to emphasize here is in other versions, that's the ESV, but I want you to see how it says it, because, again, I want to emphasize the stealth, the wolf in sheep's clothing. Some other versions, instead of crept in unnoticed, crept in unawares, secretly slipped in, wormed their way into your churches. I like that one. (laughs) You can just picture what that means. Came in by stealth. Listen, this is the Bible. I'm not showing you one reference. I've shown you about four or five. Okay, you all with me? Who all agrees that from a biblical perspective, false teachers will come in the last days, they will increase, and they will be very, very sneaky, and they will look like church Christian people. You with me? They don't have horns on their head. They don't wear a sign on their back that says, I'm a false teacher, follow me. Because you wouldn't. Right? Acts chapter 20, this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves. Who does that today? We're so busy paying attention to everything else under the sun. 
You know, latest television series, uh, redecorating the house, you know, our careers. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is Paul talking to the pastors and the elders of the church in Ephesus. The pastors and elders. Watch what he says. Look at that, the last part of that first paragraph. What is the emphasis that Paul says is going to be necessary for pastors and elders? Reminds them what? That Jesus bought you with his blood. The, the emphasis of the blood. Then he says, I know that after my departure, what kind of wolves? Fierce wolves, and they're going to be in sheep's clothing, we know, will come in among you. And are they going to spare the flock? Does this mean that some of the flock are going to be taken victim by the wolves? This isn't a game. This is not a game. I'm not up here doing this, like, for my health here. This is not a game. Flock, sheep are going to be destroyed. Watch this. And Paul said, this is the... I can't even believe this. He's gathered together a meeting of the elders, the pastors of Ephesus, right? All the pastors and elders are standing there. And he says, from among you, from among all the people that are here, the pastors and the elders... They're going to arise men speaking what kind of things? Twisted things. And why are they going to do it? To draw away disciples after them. Out of selfishness, out of greed, uh, because they're motivated by the enemy, you know, whatever, they're going to do it. It's going to happen. But the key thing I want you to see is these people are going to come from the inside. What I'm emphasizing tonight is not about the cults and the false religions. What I'm emphasizing is the inside job. The employee at the bank who works from the inside to take the money. You with me? This is very, very critical to understand. So Paul leaves us with this. He says, be alert. Obviously, you guys care about being alert because you're here for a message such as this, and that is what we're supposed to be. Don't close your eyes to what's going on. Okay. Um, Then, I love this one. This has been very convicting to me the past month or so. Here's what I want to be able to stand before Jesus and say. Paul said, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. All right? How many of you would like to be innocent of the blood of everyone you ever come in contact with? I already know I'm not. I've already not witnessed the people I was supposed to, and they've died, honestly. I worked at Wendy's with an unsaved manager. She loved me to death. We had a great give and take, you know, humorous relationship. She was as unsaved as the day is long. I was convicted to witness uh, to her for many, many years. Never had the guts. It was in a bad period of my life. Never had the guts. The woman died of cancer in her 30s. I don't know. I have blood on my hands. But here's what Paul said. And this is what I've determined in my life to do because I take it seriously when the Bible says not many of you should presume to be teachers. Right? Watch this. Here's why Paul said he would be innocent. I did not shrink back from declaring to you what? What's it say? This is very critical. Every word of God is pure. Proverbs 31.5. Every word of God counts. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Okay, now track with me on this. This is what I mean by sins of omission. 
We have got to teach every doctrine of the Bible. We can't de-emphasize or ignore some of them because they're not fashionable, they're not popular, they don't bring in the crowds. Right? Do you think that maybe some ministries and churches are preaching what they preach because it's what brings people in? What does Paul say a preacher ought to do? Preach the whole counsel of God. And if you don't, and this applies to believers, you're believers, you're out in your world testifying, you're teaching your families, you're you're influencing the people around you, we've got to teach the whole Bible. Which is why I am so disturbed by what I didn't find. And I, I urge you to do the same kind of research. I am so disturbed. And I'm going to show you an example here at the end by what I do not see being taught by major ministries and churches. Don't hear too many sermons about blood. But the blood of Jesus is my only hope. It's my only hope. It's the only thing that can cleanse your soul from sin. But you don't hear many people talking about the blood of Jesus Christ, do you? You'll hear about happy Jesus. He'll prosper you, Jesus. He'll stand by your side and help you, Jesus. He'll bring you through the storm, Jesus. But are you hearing about His blood is the only thing that can save your damned soul? Anybody? It's not too often. Hell? Are we hearing sermons on hell? Hell is so unpopular. Yeah. It's not going to bring in the crowds. It's not going to bring in the money. But if you don't preach it, people are going to go there. Right? The second coming of Jesus. Does the average churchgoer in America even think about Jesus coming back every day? What? It's crazy. So in light of what it says there, the whole counsel of God, before I get to the two examples I want to give you, 1 Peter 1.13. Check out this verse. This is Peter. This, I like to say this just to, just to get perspective. This verse is as true, what am I going to say, as John 3.16. Here's what it says. Preparing your minds for action. How many Christians like to prepare their minds? <laughs> Hey, give me my morning devotion, my cup of coffee, kind of like a zombie. Just let me proceed through my day. Listen, Peter here said, prepare your minds for action. In the King James Version, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. The Oriental peoples, you know, they wore long flowing garments. And to gird up the loins of your mind, what it meant to gird up your loins was if they were going to run fast or do any real work, they had to take their long flowing garment, bring it up, and tuck it into their belt so their legs could move and they could work and they could run and they could do something. So that phrase is what Peter uses here. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Pull up your flowing garments. Get your legs ready to run. Get your brain ready to go. Think, people. Think. Do you think it's any accident that as time goes on and the return of Jesus Christ grows nearer, do you think it's an accident that the devil is dumbing down people? 
so that we depend on everyone else for our thinking and our knowledge and we don't use our brains? Do you think that's an accident? No, that's the way this thing's going to go. He says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Hey, how many of you tell your teenager, man, I hope when you start driving, you know, drink a little bit before you drive. Hope you drive drunk. No, what do you tell them? Don't drink and drive. Duh. Why? Because when you're behind the wheel, your brain's got to be ready. The deer jumps out of the road, you've got to be able to swerve. Car coming head on, you, when the light turns red, light turns green. Sober-minded means be circumspect. Be set. Have your brain in order. Know what's going on around you. Think, man, think. I, I'm hard-pressed to find Christians anymore that think. And yet Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and then here's what he said this is the part that all that's not even the convicting part here's the convicting part here's what the bible says set your hope fully last time i checked i checked it in the greek fully here means completely 100 percent. ready what are you supposed to set your hope fully on that jesus is going to give me a happy life so hopeful that when I come to Christ and I serve him, he's going to, man, I'm going to have a white picket fence and, gee, life's going to be easy and nice. Is that what it says? No. No, what does it say? Set your, but that's what you would think from a lot of the preachers that you hear. Come to Jesus for what he can do for you. Here's what it says. Set your hope fully on what? The grace. Okay, so... If I could wipe off the rest of the sentence and you didn't see it, a lot of people would say, well, yeah, that's it. Set your hope fully on the grace that Jesus showed when he died on the cross and he forgave your sins. Well, that's also what we need to focus on. But that isn't the end of the story. He says, set your hope on the grace. Uh Uh-oh, this is a future grace. The grace what? That will? Not the what? The grace that will in the future be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ? What? As a Christian, my full hope, my complete hope is supposed to be in something that's going to happen in the future? I want it now! I want healed now. I want lots of money now. I want complete and total joy now, now, now. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the revelation of Jesus Christ is? All the people in Dibb's Bible study know. First five words of Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. To know the Jesus of the Gospels is not to understand Jesus fully. He didn't just die in the past and rise and come out of the tomb to go up into the sky to be not much to you. He is ever interceding at the right hand of the throne of God and he is ready to what? Come back. And what does the Bible say I should set my hope on? The full revelation.
through Jesus, when he comes back, and I won't take time to go there to save time because we want to go through these two examples, but I challenge you to look at the book of Revelation. Look at chapter 1. Look at chapter 19. This is a Jesus who has fire in his eyes, who has feet of bronze. This is a Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. This is the Jesus who comes, according to Revelation, to judge and to make war. You with me? This is the Jesus who comes to take down his enemies, to cast into the lake of fire the Antichrist, his false prophet, Satan, and every person who has rejected Jesus Christ. And you know what? I need His grace today, and I needed His grace when I was five years old, and I was sitting over at Calvary Assembly getting myself saved and my sins washed away, and I need His grace every single day because I'm a sinner every single day, and I need His blood every moment that I live. I didn't just need it when I was five or when I was 20. I need it right now today because I'm always wrong without Him. I need His blood every moment, but I will never need the grace of Jesus more than the day he comes out of those clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him amen and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him and I will never need the grace of Jesus Christ more than on that day because I don't deserve to be spared that you with me so looking at Jesus as a historical figure or my salvation is something that happened somewhere in the past, wrong. You should be tighter with Jesus, more appreciative of Jesus, more in love with Jesus today, waiting for his return than you ever were in any moment past or there's something wrong. Amen? And what is your hope supposed to be set on? Fully on the grace that will be revealed to you on that day. Wow, this doesn't sound like what I'm seeing in the Christian bookstore. Just do that. Do a little experiment. Go to the Christian bookstore and check out all the bestsellers. And see if they match up with that verse. All right. Peter also said the end of all things is near. It's right at hand. Be self-controlled. Be sober. There it is, sober-minded. Stay awake. Luke 21, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. I guess Jesus wouldn't have said that to believers unless there was a chance that some of us could be caught off guard, right? doesn't warn us for nothing. Look at it. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things, all these end-time events. And to stand before the Son of Man. I love Jesus. I'm not looking forward to the increasing trial and tribulation of these end times. When I wake up in the morning, I say, Dear Jesus, make me so I can stand before you. Give me grace so I can escape all these things that are going to take place. It kind of gives the Word of God a different tone to read it for what it actually says. All right. Um, yeah, we're going to go to the, the real-life examples here. Second Timothy, one more thing. 
uh, the Bible says that in the end times, people will have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And I find it interesting that God knew as end times would increase, there would be increased technology. Think about this. You don't just go to your local church on the corner now and hope that you can find a preacher who preaches the truth. What do people do? Get on the Internet, get on their iPad, buy a CD, sign up for some service, some email service, and they can listen to anybody in the entire globe they want to listen to. Right? And a lot of people are not looking to find preachers measuring them against the Word of God. They just want to find preachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. And is it easy to do? It's pretty easy. All right, so this growing deception. Not only is it here, not only are the wolves in sheep clothing, but Jesus said in Matthew 24:24, because he likened these to birth pains, they'll get more frequent, they'll get more intense. And he said... In the second wave, that false Christ, false prophets will arise. They'll perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Listen, I never wake up in the morning and say, I mean, I know that I'm safe in Jesus, but I never think too highly of myself. I literally pray to God most every day, keep me from even being sincerely led astray. Help me, God. Help me. Because it's going to get so bad, and the devil's going to be able to do great signs and wonders. And there are going to be false teachers and preachers and evangelists who will be able to do miracles. Do you know that a miracle can be a false miracle sent from the powers of hell? Do not judge a ministry or a minister on their signs and wonders. Judge them on how what they say aligns or misaligns with that book you're holding in your hands. I don't care if they just healed 500 people on a stage somewhere. If they're not teaching salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ, run away. You with me? False signs. There's one thing that you can't fake. You can't fake that your teaching aligns truly with the Word of God. You can fake a lot of other things. Finally, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power, all false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are dying or perishing. Why are they dying? Because they refuse to what? Hmm, that sounds a lot like Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love thy law. What does this say? That people will die because they refuse to love the truth. That in the Greek there is agape. It means unconditional love. And I'm going to say this. I don't care what people say about me. Here's the deal. The Bible does not say that you could perish because you refused to have the truth. You can hold a Bible in your hands. The average American home contains 4.4 Bibles. Very few of those people are saved, right? Doesn't say that they're dying because they refuse to listen to the truth. They might even attend church. Doesn't say that they're dying because they refuse to read the truth. They might even do family devotions. The question is, do you love the truth? Will you be persecuted? Are you willing to die for what the Bible says? Are you willing to be marginalized in a society that increasingly says, 
they're going against the word of God, right? Okay, I'm going to bring up to the screen here. Um, oh, I do want to. I, I do want to. This is a quote from the Believer's Bible Commentary. These false teachers take their place inside the church. They pose as ministers of the gospel. This is what makes the peril so great. If they came right out and said they were atheists or agnostics, people would be on guard. But they're masters of deception. They carry the Bible and use orthodox expressions, though using them to mean something entirely different. I'm going to show you that in just one second. Absolutely true. Darby, John Nelson Darby, love this. The devil's never more satanic than when he carries the Bible. Satanic means an adversary. The devil is never more our enemy than when he's carrying a Bible. Right? What last quote before we go to the first false teacher? One way is they keep back the full scope and tendency of their doctrines. This is what I've found as I've researched on the Internet. They kind of hide and keep back what they're really fully teaching. Things that are to be really believed or only partially discovered, the rest being wrapped up in skillful ambiguities. Your head's going to spin when I show you this next slide. You're going to be, what, what, what is he saying? It, it just it doesn't even make sense. Another of the byways by which false teacher creeps into the church is by a skillful mixing up with it a good deal of sound and wholesome doctrine, which is always paraded with a great show of orthodoxy. The apostle, therefore, in the text exhorts us to see that we look to a man's teaching as a whole. He may teach truth in regard of all the attributes of the divine nature, and yet if he obscure or distort or keep back other truths, if he tampers with the great doctrine of our justification by faith in the atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ, we are to denounce him as a deceiver and the antichrist, no matter what else he says right. Okay? All right. The black screen is going to indicate this is the first. Uh, I have two examples for you I want to bring up. Now, this first gentleman, and I am uh, much to some of your chagrin, I am not going to name the people because this is not a witch hunt. Um, it is not important for you to know the names of false teachers. It's important for you to know the names of true teachers. And it's important for you to be able to understand and discern wrong when you see it. Okay? I will share with you that the gentleman I'm going to share with you about the first time is a very uh, multi-million dollar successful Christian author who largely has written in the fiction genre. When I was a Christian school teacher, tons of the teachers read his fiction books and loved them. He <clears throat> recently, uh, apparently there was an interview done with the New York Times or something, and he had some type of personal transformation, he calls it, in the year 2015. Now, I want to tell you that he was so tight, and, and apparently, I mean, I went to my home library because I thought I had one of his books from the past. And I do have a book of his, copyrighted 2005, endorsed by a solid teacher, Randy Alcorn. At the time, this gentleman wrote an actual nonfiction book, same guy, in 2005. I had it on my bookshelf. I browsed through it, saw all my yellow underlines, and everything in it seemed right on track. But he's had some personal transformation since then. And he's gone on to write a book of devotions or meditations for Christians because he's had some type of awakening. And now he wants to call the church to realize what Christianity really is. And so with this great following behind him and more than 20 years of successful sales in Christianity, and by the way, his latest 
fiction book I did see about a month ago was on the front row of family Christian bookstores. He sold in family, you know, Christian bookstores all over the place. His recent book of nonfiction devotions or meditations is out. And uh, the reason I became aware of him as a, as a problem is because he came up in my Facebook feed because many of my Christian friends, and I mean Christian leader friends, like his page. But when I saw what was coming across my feed, I thought, what? He likes him. She likes that page. Like, they're following him. And I started reading his stuff, and I was like, oh, my. Okay? Multi-million dollar, successful Christian fiction writer, now turned devotion writer. Okay? And here is an actual quote from his website concerning his new book of devotions and what he sees as the problem in Christianity today. Ready? What if you are blind and don't know it? Not kind of, sort of, but really. Right now as you stare at these words, what if someone offered to give you true sight beyond what your eyes can see? All you had to do was accept that you are blind. Would you? Are you blind? It is as Jesus taught. You are the light of the world. True? Did Jesus say that? You're going to learn all the principles I just taught you in one fell swoop. Watch this. You are the light of the world. It's not that you have light, but that you are light. Do you know that? If you are light, can you also be darkness at the same time? No. But, can you, but you can still perceive darkness if you're blind to the light which is you. What's going on here? Did Jesus say you are the light of the world? He did. He did say you are the light of the world, though, in, one, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5. But he also said that he is the light of the world, Okay. So let this sink in, and, and, and you can notice how if we're not training the generation coming behind us, and if somebody's not grounded in the faith, does this look a little bit interesting? What the, there's, I'm light? There's light in me? This whole, the whole thing behind this guy is pantheism. The whole thing behind this guy is we are divine. Okay? But watch this. So I'm going to give you some scriptures. Let's first turn in your Bible to 1 John right before Revelation, 1 John chapter 1. Verses 5 to 10. I'm going to keep his words up on the screen there. And remember, he has a great platform. He has a ton of followers. I was watching people on his Facebook feed, and there was this one woman. I started to weep as I read it. She said, oh, so-and-so. She calls him Master So-and-so now. Oh, Master So-and-so. Wait, it gets worse. I teach a fifth and sixth grade Sunday school class at my church, and we are going to use your devotional. First John chapter five or chapter one verses five through ten. I'm not going to belabor this, but I'm going to give you these to take home and read. Here's what Jesus said about light. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is what? No darkness. Is there darkness in humanity? 
Do you see what he's doing? He's taking one quote of Jesus and blowing it out of context and out of proportion and twisting things. If we say, now this is the context of this, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, okay, is it possible that we walk in the light? Yeah, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of, there it is, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wait a second, there's a big differentiation there. He is light and in him is no darkness and I've got to walk in his light and while I do, his blood will cleanse my dirty, rotten, dark soul from sin. You with me? Do you see what this guy is not saying? If we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This Christian author is denying now the sinfulness of man. Watch. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is another reference you can look at to save time. I'm going to tell you something. Matthew 5 is where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. He did say that. But you know what the context of him saying that was? Just a few paragraphs before that, the context was the Sermon on the Mount, and here's what he said before he said, you're the light of the world. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt and know they've got nothing to offer God. Those are the people that can be the light of the world because they can take the true light into their hearts, right? The context is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, if I have to hunger and thirst for righteousness, then that means I don't have it on my own, okay? Another cross-reference for this, and I would love to share this with this gentleman, and I I might write to him, not that it'll matter, but here's the deal. Jesus himself said, Born among men, there has never been anyone greater than John the Baptist, okay? But, that being the case, John chapter 1, here's what the Apostle John said about John the Baptist. Watch this. Wow. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Even John the Baptist, whom Jesus said was the greatest among men, what does the Bible say? He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. That's what you being the light of the world, you bearing witness about the light. Do you see how this gentleman has twisted things? And if you would get on his Facebook page, you would see literally hundreds Thousands of likes and comments and, oh, this is a great devotional. We're going to do it in our small group Bible study. We're going to do it in our Sunday school class. What? What churches are allowing this to happen? Look at this. He said, thus, when you see darkness in any situation, (laughs) it's only because you aren't seeing clearly. You are blind. Do you see darkness in you? then you are blind. But don't condemn yourself. We're all blind to some degree. Our journey now is to see. We are the light of the world, but we block that light with planks of grievance. We go blind to that light, which is us. 
and so stumble in darkness, condemning ourselves and projecting blame onto others. Grievance makes us blind, especially grievance about ourselves. Hey, multi-million dollar, decades and decades veteran of Christian writing had a personal transformation and is worming his way in with this false teaching. I checked out his Facebook page and some dear woman on there, this is really sad, messaged him on publicly on Facebook and said that she wanted to commit suicide. And here was his answer to her. Ready? This is word for word. My dear sister, My heart breaks with you and for you. If you could see only a glimpse of your true beauty, you would tremble with wonder. I have suffered as well. Life seemed so unfair to me as well. The shell I lived in had to break for me to see who I was beyond my circumstances in this life. And in that breaking, I found a light that stunned me. Look inside, dear. Look to the place where you live, already full of peace and love. Find that light. And you will have found yourself. You are so beautiful. Anybody see anything wrong with that? Where is the person of Jesus Christ? It's not about a person here. It's about enlightenment. It's about a thing. It's about light inside. It's about the divinity of humanity. You with me? Now here's what I want to say to you guys. Multi-million dollar. I have one of his books in my house. I know people who have tons of his fiction books. So he's got the inroad. And he's taking full advantage. Now, before I go to my last example, a gentleman in one of my Revelation Bible studies asked, asked an excellent question one night. He said of false teachers, he said, Shelley, do you believe that they know what they're doing? Or are they doing it without understanding what they're doing? I thought that was an excellent question. And here was my answer. Number one, I cannot judge any human heart. I don't know this man's motivation. And that's not really the issue. That's not for me to deal with. That's God's issue. I'm just to judge the fruit, the teaching, and make sure people understand it's wrong, okay? But here is the answer I would give. Because of what Second Thessalonians told us, even if, He is doing it out of deception. Even if he has been duped or deceived by the devil and doesn't know he's deceived and doesn't realize he's deceiving other people, it's still his fault. How do I know that? Because Romans chapter 1 says that you have to push away the truth of God. You have to refuse the truth of God. 2 Thessalonians, we just read in chapter 2, tells us this. They're perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And it says the reason is, ultimately, they took pleasure in unrighteousness in the first place. So they didn't want the truth. So if you may, listen to me, and I want to tell you guys, because I'm not, I'm not safe from this. Do you understand me? If I put down my Bible tomorrow and say, I'm just going to live a happy little Christian life, and I don't really need to love the truth, let me just sail through life, and I'll wait for the day when I die, and I'll go to be in heaven someday. If I lay my Bible aside and refuse to love the truth, that could be me. We're no better. We have to do what Jesus said. 
He has to love the truth. Amen? So whether he is deceiving on purpose or not, it's still his fault biblically. The Bible says no one has an excuse. And if you don't love the truth, it's because you loved pleasure and unrighteousness more and you pushed it away. Okay? All right. Now, this second one to me, uh, give me give me ten more minutes, okay, guys? Hold fast because this one was even, to me, more damnable than that author. This one is a huge, huge church institution thingy. If I said the name, you'd all know. I've used their stuff. We've used their stuff. Okay? Something's gone amiss. They've gone very much amiss. So what I did was I got on their website, and uh, I was looking at sermon series and stuff, but I kind of got off track because something jumped out at me, and I thought, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Every church I know and every Christian I know has used their stuff, looked at their stuff. I'm like, what, what, what? Um, Okay, so let me try to think of the progression here. So first of all, let me do a disclaimer. I got on their doctrinal statement page. And they have international influence. We're not talking just America. This is international, okay? I got on their doctrinal statement page, and I checked it out, and I was like, okay, well, everything checks out. I mean, granted, they said things in as few words as they possibly could, you know, and not the way I would have said it, you know, so specific, but nothing was off track in the doctrinal statement. I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm being too, (laughs) looking too hard, you know? No. I don't think I was. I want to see if you guys agree with me. So, again, wolf in sheep's clothing. Don't know the motivation. Not saying they're doing it on purpose, but deceived nonetheless. Uh, remember what Jesus said, lead many astray. So the fact that they have major influence should not be a shock to us. should not be a shock that their doctrinal statement aligns with what's right, but their actual preaching and the products that they're putting out by books and music and other things don't really align. Okay? So watch this. So I got to this part of their page, and I wanted to know particularly what they say about Jesus. And in their doctrinal statement, they say that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe in his deity. I mean, they kind of make that clear. But they never talk about it again. Here is, this is, and this is the full page. I'm not leaving anything out or editing anything. This is the full page on their website, and it's called Christ Humanity Gives Us Confidence. Okay. I preach, and I don't want you to get distracted by this, let me, I preach Christ's humanity a lot because it's important to know he suffered as a human just like us, right? I've preached that a lot. I believe in the humanity of Christ, and it's very valuable. But just read this with me. It seems very obvious to say that the deity of Christ gives us strength and confidence. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresent. Everybody okay with that? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to him, Okay? What we tend to neglect is that Christ's humanity gives us as much confidence as his deity. Okay. Yeah, I mean, his humanity is important or else he couldn't have identified with us and stood in our place. You know, I'm still tracking with you here. First of all, Christ's humanity is not an emergency solution. God's last option to save humanity. Okay. I don't understand why you're saying what you're saying, but okay. Um, Um, Man is made in the image, oh boy, 
Man is made in the image of God. Right? Did they say something true? And Jesus Christ What? So this is me at the table with my computer. What? Wait, wait. Wait, what? What? Jesus Christ, and I kept saying the phrase over in my mind, is, is that right? Jesus Christ is the perfection. I don't know, something about that smacks to me of he is a human just like me, and he did it. Like he... He was a human who actually then made himself the God kind of person he should have been. I, I don't know. Something just set me wrong, and I, I started to get uncomfortable. And then I read, therefore, his humanity is the perfect sovereign will of God. And then the last paragraph. Oh, I have to sit down to read it. His humanity affirms us as humans and confirms that God has got a plan for mankind. Yeah? Kind of, yeah. Furthermore, his perfect humanity shows us our full potential. It is wrong to say, I'm just human, or they're only human. There is no only about it. Jesus has provided the wonderful potential of perfected humanity and given us his spirit to help us become like him (laughs) now at this point I'm like oh boy how many of you don't like that for some reason I don't like it it's starting to twist some things a little bit ever so subtly ever so subtly but there's can anybody feel the twisting going on somehow we're we're getting to that maybe I'm not just a human, but Jesus provided the potential for me to be exactly what he became, perfected humanity. And I'm I'm looking at this website and saying, is this the website I think I'm on? I keep going up and checking the web address. Yep, 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 okay. So it goes on. By the way, I put references, but I can tell you guys already know. Uh, Hebrews 7.26 says, Jesus is separate from sinners. (laughs) Okay. You know, okay, we're different than him. He is fully God and fully human, and we are only fully human, okay? And while we grow into his image and in heaven we'll continue growing in righteousness, we do not, we don't perfect to God's status on our own. Okay, so this was bothering me, but I thought, surely somewhere on here they're going to correct this. It's going to seem different. They're going to talk about salvation, the blood of Jesus. Surely, because their doctrinal statement says they believe that people need saved. But apparently you kind of save yourself. Yeah, but, but the doctrinal statement looks right. So I'm like, surely the main website, see, because nobody goes to the doctrinal page. This is what they're counting on you reading, you know. And I'm like, okay, so here's what happened. Oh, boy. Gives me the shivers. So... Here was their page, so I went to, they had a tab on their website called Jesus. I was like, okay. So I hit it, their tab says Jesus. Ready? Here we go. Who is Jesus? I will tell you right now, there are 237 words in this. 
And not one of the words, 237 words, that's all they wrote on their tab that says, who is Jesus? Out of the 237 words, listen to me, church, not one time. They get newcomers coming to their site. You hit the tab, who is Jesus? You read all 237 words. Not one time do you ever read any of these words. Ready? Never once do they say sin. Not once do they say blood. Not once do they say cross. Not once do they say sacrifice. Not once. So if you're a visitor to this website and you want to know who Jesus is, you get none of that. But you get some, you know, you get some stuff. The understanding of Christ is usually usually important, most importantly because it relates to our decision that we have made to be in relationship with Christ. But who is he? What sort of man is this? The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Agreed? That's a good scripture. I can imagine local people everywhere when Jesus showed up talking, speculating, arguing, ideology, ideal, all that's misspelled. But that was on their website and it was a misspelling. Did you hear? It is said of him that, did you know, question mark, especially the religious people of the day, the teachers of the law, wherever he was, if he opened his mouth or did something, he was the talk of the town. Yeah, and, and he was the talk of the town, but they really didn't say sometimes he was the talk of the town because everybody hated him for who he claimed to be. It's kind of like he was the talk of the town because he was spectacular. And he is spectacular, but you get what I'm saying. When Jesus calms the storm in Matthew 8:27, the disciples said, What sort of man is this, which even the wind and waves obey him? True. That's true. Jesus was incomparable. True. We always try to compare public figures with similar people in history because we like to categorize in order to have a reference point. Examples. A leader like Winston Churchill. A visionary like John F. Kennedy. Um, A carer like Mother Teresa, a wise man like Gandhi. When the questions above are personalized, it becomes the most important question you and I will ever be asked or have to answer, who is Jesus? Or more importantly, who is Jesus to you? And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Okay. You're an unbeliever. You've just clicked on their page because they're famous. They're big. They're supposedly the church. You click on the tab to find out who is Jesus, and this is what you get. Tell me what you missed. What did you not get? The gospel. You didn't get the gospel at all. You got Jesus is great. Jesus does miracles. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is wonderful. And you want to get with Jesus because, you know, he's going to give you life to the full. How? I don't know. Just sign up with him, I guess, you know. Please tell me I'm not crazy. But I want to give a disclaimer. Their doctrinal statement is right on. But what they're teaching, what they're highlighting, what they're showing is not the whole truth. And I'm sure that you have to have a good doctrinal statement if you're going to be received by most people, right? I want to give you, uh, the last thing I want to share with you is I went to the tab which says, who are these people, you know, what's their vision for life, and, and um, it's a husband and a wife, so... 
here's what they're about. This is what they chose to put on their website as their vision, you know. And I left blanks, not naming them. Um, with a contagious zest for life. Okay, this is about the wife, by the way. I'll just say Susie. With a contagious zest for life, Susie passionately believes in the potential of all people. Stop. I don't want you to look at it. What do you think so far? You know, okay. I'm not saying that's damnable, but I'm saying if somebody asked me to crystallize on an international website as a respected leader in the church what my vision for life is, it's really not for you to fulfill your potential. To save your soul. Okay? But let's keep going. Uh, and is devoted to the cause of Christ. Her and Susie's husband's all-consuming desire is to place value on humanity. To that end, they labor to see healthy men, women, and youth emerge across the landscape of the church. Now, I'm not saying that that's a false, you know, can that be true? Do I really, do I desire to see value placed on humanity? Yes, in the sense that you're so valuable, the Lord of the universe came and died for you and shed his blood because I'm such a mess. I'm valuable, but I need redemption. I don't need to become a perfected Shelley Prindle because I can't. Right? You see how it's all twisted. And this one to me is worse because it's not as obvious. It's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but not much of anything at all. And you would never, how many of you agree that by reading any of those things on their major pages, no matter what their doctrinal statement says, you would not know how to be saved? Right? What, did you raise your hand, Renee? Did you want to say something? It's still me. You can ask. <laughs> Forgot she wasn't in Sunday school. Okay. Listen. Again, this is not a witch hunt. You know what this is? Wake up. Wake up. Because while we might be able to read that and survive, there are people that would read that and never get saved. There are people that would read that and be misled. Do you know what that is at its core? That's humanism. The first one was pantheism. The first one was teaching us that we are divine at our essence. It's enlightenment, pantheism. The second one at its core, no matter what they say in their doctrinal statement, is humanism. And the belief that any human can become fully self-actualized and whoever they're meant to be. And that Christ is really just a model for that and not a savior. And by the way, there's one more page I didn't take time to put on. They did have a page that said, uh, not salvation. It wasn't titled salvation, but making a decision or something. And on that page, again, no mention ever of blood, cross, sacrifice, or substitution. Not once anywhere other than the doctrinal statement. And when they said, do you want to be saved? It said good things about Jesus, like all the wonderful things he does. And then it said, um, all you need to do is say this. Say I've done some things wrong in the past, but I, I, I really want you to make me who I'm supposed to be, so, you know. Okay. That's it. 
So here, we're in trouble, right? The church of Jesus Christ is in trouble. Pray, be on the alert, don't be afraid, and above all things, Psalm 119.67, or 97, let's make it our motto. Ready? Oh, Lord, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Bow your heads, please. Dear Jesus, forgive us for not talking about your blood and the cross. God, before this service tonight, I, you know I paced the youth room and I, I prayed for both of these, all three of these individuals, these leaders. I'm praying for them. Want them to be in the truth. 